Open your Bibles at Jeremiah chapter 9 and keep the scriptures open there. We'll be referring to some verses around this chapter later on. Last Lord's Day morning, I reminded those who gathered here that there are three mandatory, essential, specific things required in our lives and in our assembly if we're going to see blessing and fruit and souls in this new church year, our 35th year here at the corner. And these three things are very neatly found in the life of young Jeremiah the prophet. And last Lord's Day morning we looked at the first of those things and it was unworthiness. Unworthiness. For him to take on such a task that God was calling him as a teenager, maybe in his late teens or early 20s, it was such a challenge, it was such a calling that remember we dealt with the, his response, you needn't turn to it in chapter 1 and verse 6. Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. He protested his inefficiency. He protested his innocency. He protested his inadequacy. He couldn't say, he said, I can't do it, Lord. I can't take this on. Of course, any man or woman with the commission of the king upon them would need to be like that before they'd step out into any service for the Lord. The task before Jeremiah was a mammoth, monumental task for 30 years of ministry. And can I say to you this morning that the task before us here in this 35th year is also a monumental and a mammoth task. Because the word to God that came to Jeremiah was that he was to root out, pull down, destroy, to build, to plant, and to finish what God has told him to do. And so, in a sense, we are embarking as a fellowship into a new venture here at this assembly into another phase of the vision and of the calling of God to have these Sunday school and these rooms ready for children and to have a, a, a right up to date and up to mark by the 1st of January when we're going to commence as schooling, church schooling. And then the second phase is to move out and to dismantle the barn 
and to build a multi-purpose place here, back into this bank or wherever it's needed to go. We cannot and we must not allow any longer the devil to attack and to take our children the way that he's doing it. It's all right to sign petitions and it's all right to go to meetings and it's all right to go to your MP and it's all right to pray and we need to do all those things and if you're doing them, that's good. But my friend, we need to do something more than that. We need to have a place for the children. And that comes down to every man and woman who says they're concerned about this woke and this ideology that they're teaching and going to teach our children in school. If you're saying to me this morning, as others have been saying to us, how can we allow our children to be taught this in the school? Well, then you can do something about it. Don't talk about it. Do something about it. Put your hand in your pocket and help us here to prepare a place for the children. Now, this morning we're dealing with the second of these things that's required urgently in every life, in my life, and in this assembly this morning. This second thing this morning, that's obligatory, that's essential for the work to progress here, and that is brokenness. 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 This requirement of brokenness in the Word of God follows on automatically from the state of unworthiness. The both are inextricably linked. Once we realize our total inadequacy, once we realize and say, how in God's name are we going to have this vision fulfilled? How in God's name are we going to do what we have to do? Then the first thing is we have to realize, yes, that we're unworthy and it's not unto us. And that follows on in the heels then of brokenness. Brokenness. Remember Gideon, that man of God. When God called him to the task, he says, Oh my Lord, I am from the smallest tribe. I am in the least in my father's house, but I can't do it. But your man, Gideon was broken. And if we stay in this frame of mind of unworthiness, and we continue and let that imbibe us and let that uh, doctrine of unworthiness get hold of us every day that we can't do it and we're not able to do it and we'll never be able to do it. If we stay long enough like that, brokenness will come. And we know what it means when the psalmist, where the psalmist says, a broken and a contrite spirit I shall not despise. Friend, I say it this morning from a but I say this morning, I say this morning that everything seems to be broken but the hearts of God's people. We're more broken homes, we're more broken marriages, we're more broken covenants. But we see very little brokenness and tears and weeping amongst the people of God. And I'm speaking about myself this morning. I had to preach this message to myself and I, I do all the messages of preaching to myself first of all. 
a broken and a contrite spirit. That word contrite is the word crushed. It's the word ground to powder. It was the word Job used when he says, I abhor myself in dust and ashes. Now, while there are many places in Jeremiah, uh, in the book of Jeremiah and Lamentation, where we see him broken and we see him crushed, nowhere more than in chapter 9 and verse 1. This is the verse that I want you to look at this morning. This is the verse that I have lived in all week. Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. I want to confess very openly this morning that I don't know anything about this. I don't know absolutely anything about it. I know nothing of how Jeremiah felt. I know nothing how God felt. I know nothing how the Lord Jesus feels. I know nothing what David said when he says, I'm a broken vessel. I know nothing what David said when he said, I weep till I could weep no more. I know nothing of what David said when he said, my meat day and night is tears. I don't know anything I don't know anything about Nehemiah when he heard the news about Jerusalem's walls. He sat down and he wept and he fasted and he prayed. And I don't know anything about this. I'm sorry I don't. And I've been praying to God that he will break my heart over the state of our nation, over the state of the church, over the state of sinners. Job could say, mine eyes are poured out with tears. You know what that verse, verse 1 means? You know what he's saying in verse 1? You know what the original of verse 1 is? He's saying, oh God, if my whole body was full of tears and full of water, it wouldn't be enough. What have we eight pints of blood in our body? He's saying, if my, my body was full of water and full of tears, it wouldn't be enough to express how I feel. Is it any wonder he was called the weeping prophet? Weeping and mourning and lamenting like this, my dear friends, this morning comes from a broken heart. We have to bleed to bless. I listened on the radio to Pamela Valentine the other morning saying that when they told her she had cancer, she wept for something like two days. When Hezekiah the king was told that he had boils, he turned his face to the wall and he wept. Oh, we can weep over ourselves. We can weep over our health. We can weep over our family. We can weep over the loss of relationships. We can weep over the loss of a job. We can weep with how many weep for souls. Wasn't it Hudson Taylor, that my missionary to China, when they went into his closet one day, you could hear the cries and the laments and the mourns of him and he had his arm round the globe of the world and his head down on the globe and the tears were flowing down the globe. I don't know anything about that. Nothing. But I know this, my friend, unless there's brokenness, unless God can break our stubborn pride, 
and break into our bank books, books and break us, then we'll be no use for God. And 2035th year will end like every other year. Go through the scriptures and find sometimes those things that were broken that God blessed. The alabaster box that Mary brought, it had to be broken. It was a year's wages is all that you had. It had to be broken at the Savior's feet and then it poured out. We're living in the good of it today. The wee lad brought the five loaves and the two fishes to Jesus and Jesus took the bread. He took the bread and he broke the bread and the, the bread fed 5,000 men plus women and children and there were 12 baskets left over. When Paul was on the journey heading towards Rome and they hit that Ecladian storm and landed on the, on, the, on the ship was beaten up, it says that they got onto the shore with the broken pieces of the ship. They, they swam to the shore on the broken pieces. Jesus says, this is my body. This is my body which was broken for you. <coughs> we sit around this table and we're hard. We walk away from it because it's a hundred times worse. It's broken. Broken. Broken for you. Psalm 34 and verse 18 says, He saveth those that are a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Blessed and happy are they that mourn. That's not for preaching at funerals. Blessed and happy are they that mourn over their sins. I tell you, if you mourn over your sin and realize that you're a sinner and realize that Christ died for you this morning, if you mourn over your sin, happy and blessed you will be. Here's another one. He forgiveth those that have a broken and a contrite heart. Psalm 51, when he had the affair with Bathsheba. A broken and a contrite spirit again. He will not despise. Listen, he'll forgive you this morning. He'll save you this morning. If he sees a sign of brokenness. We're not seeing brokenness. We're not seeing tears. We're not seeing compassion. We're seeing pride and haughtiness and jealousy and every other thing. God help us this morning. He saveth those that have a broken heart. He forgiveth those that have a broken heart. He reviveth those that have a broken heart. Listen to Isaiah 57 verse 15. I revive the spirit of the humble, the contrite, and the broken. Hallelujah. If my people which are called by my name and humble themselves and break themselves at my feet, then I will hear, then I will heal, then I will forgive. I want to close our message this morning because we must keep this in its context. I want to close this message this morning with why this young prophet 
was weeping and mourning and lamenting so profusely and so uncontrollably because that's the only way you can describe it. So I want you to look at chapter 7 and verse 27. Turn over to chapter 7 and verse 27. The context here is that God had given Jeremiah a message but not to go into the temple and preach it. Sometimes God wants us out altogether. He wouldn't let him into the temple to preach it. He said, I want you to stand at the gate as I go in. And I want you to preach and I'll tell you it was serious stuff. What he told them. Is any wonder they put him in a pit of human slurry? They put him in a pit of human slurry, you know, up to his neck. Who did it? His own people. His own people. This is not, this is not popular preaching. And I'm not here to be popular. Look at verse 27. Therefore thou shalt speak all the words unto them, but they will not hearken to thee. But thou shalt also call unto them, and they will not answer thee. Here's verse 28. But thou shalt say unto them, This is the nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, and receiveth not correction. Truth is perished, and is cut off from their mouth. Now the word that I'm after there is the word correction. Correction. God corrected them time and time and time again. But they obeyed not his correction. They received not his correction. And let me tell you this, friend, he did it in love. And he did it in mercy and he did it in grace. And he did it with tears. You know, I think that one of the saddest things most must be for a minister or a pastor is to spend hours and early late nights and early mornings praying, preparing, bringing messages and waiting for God and come to the people that don't receive it, they don't reciprocate it, they don't respond to it. It must grieve the heart of many as a preacher. It grieves mine. Those who are continually under correction. But you see, friend, that word correction is a word of love. And they heed not my voice. The word correction most times is used in the Old and New Testament is to chastise, to teach, and to discipline. Listen to what the psalmist says. Blessed and happy is the man whom thou chasteneth. Hebrews 12. For whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth. Now no chastening at the present time is joyful. And we know that is not. But nevertheless afterwards it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Jesus says. As many as I love I rebuke and chasten and discipline. Dear saint of God this morning, God's correcting you and me 
and disciplining you and me and instructing us, the same word, instructing you and me because he loves us and it's for our good. And whatever the lash is upon you this morning in some affliction or another, whatever the rod is that God's using with you or me this morning, whether it's cancer, whether it's coronary, whether it's no job, whether it's no money, whether it's Parkinson's or whatever it may be, it's all for our good. That he may bless us. He has to do it to bless us. This is the thing that grieved this man, Jeremiah. God only wants to bless you. He only wants to profit you. He only wants to establish your marriage and your home and your family. He only wants to do it, but you'll not let him because you'll not obey him. I got a powerful illustration for this at the tent on Friday night after I preached. Holly came and her daughter, Madison, and they came to me after the meeting. And when I looked at the both of them, Remember the day, Robert? Robert and I prayed with them, hugging one another, both of them, with cancer. There's a scene that will never leave me. When you put yourself in that condition this morning with your child, both of you diagnosed with cancer, and both cancers not good. I tell you, it would go the way to break us. Just because all's healthy and well this morning now with your children and with yourself, don't you think? And it could change by this time tomorrow. And she came up to more to show me, she said, Madison was 12 then, I don't know what the other side was. Just maybe 13 or 14. You were in for a checkup the other day. And Madison got another scan, and when the scan came out, the specialist called him in and he says, I don't believe this. He says, There's something wrong here. I'm going to send her for another scan. Everything's clear in the scan. Holly says, you'll not send her for another scan. She doesn't need one. I tell you, that's faith. That's faith. That's a mother with her son. Healthy and well, both of them. I tell you, they had the rod on them. Anybody had the rod on them? So had you this morning. Some of you, I see you this morning. See Elizabeth here, others, many of you. Remember that the old Puritan said that God's rod, God's rod, God's rod is honey at the end of it. God only wanted, God wanted to, he's correcting them and disciplining them and instructing them for their blessing. Let me quickly say to you this morning, there's three things that you can do in the trial, in the storm, in the cancer, 
in the, in the Parkinson, whatever it might be, there's three things you can do. First of all, you can resolve to it and just write it out and say that's what has come and that's what has come and that's life and that's it. You can do that, but that's not the scripture way. Secondly, you can resist it and reject it and curse God. That's not the scripture way either. But do you know what the scripture way is? Is to rejoice in it. Paul says, I rejoice in tribulation also. When we see the hand of God correcting and working, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult it may be with us, with our children, when we understand the fact that all things are working and he is doing it for our good because he loves us. Jeremiah got a grip of this and it broke. It broke. But they didn't go. And look at what happened in verse 29. He brought the wrath. Of God. It says verse 28, cut off in here. I'm not going to do that. Take up a lamentation of high place. For the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. We have a generation this morning that knows not God. And they don't want to know God. You young person in the meeting this morning, you appreciate your mother and you appreciate your father and you appreciate people that pray for you. It was this correction that brought brokenness. Now let, let me show you quickly the second thing that brought brokenness in chapter 8 and verse 7, migration. Migration. This is the first time you read of migration. Somebody says, I got. Verse 7, chapter 8. Yeah, the stork in the heaven knows. Can you hear? Can, can you can you feel the sobs of him? The stork in the heaven knows her appointed time. The turtle, the crane, and the swallow. Observe the time of their coming, but my people know not the judgment of the Lord. I think that this was harvest time because eight and twenty says the harvest is past. It was around this time of year. The swallows go in September. And the storks go in September. And, and, and Jeremiah somewhere weeping and mourning. He saw them lining up. He saw them on the hedgerows and on the hilltops. He saw them lining up with his swallows are going to go thousands and thousands and thousands of miles. They're ready to go. They'll be gone before the end of September. Before the end of September, they'll be away. They'll travel through Spain and out onto the Sahara, cross over the Sahara Desert, over Uganda and over Morocco, where that earthquake was, that awful earthquake. These wee birds for 16 years will keep coming back to the same nest in the garage. Inside them there's a wee device that goes there, but God tells them. Do you know the swallows wouldn't say in these last couple of days, well, the weather's lovely here now. We'll stay another few days. No, they're not. That's what you do. 
You say things are going well now and everything seems the best. Now we just go on the way we're doing. The swallows have more sense than you have, let me tell you. They're not going to say this is lovely weather. We'll hold on until this weather goes. No, no, they might go into worse weather where they're going. But there's something in their heart tells them it's time to go. I heard of a man in October. He found two swallows down his lane. One had a broken wing. Didn't get away. And the other one must have stayed with it to comfort it. I don't know. But he got the two of the two of them and it was too late. Listen, it'll be too late. It'll be too late when this mission's over. And don't you come nursing your children and crying to us on the phone and crying about yourself on the phone. Oh, this and all that and all other. And you reject God. He'll soon be gone. The old stork, he traveled 5,000 miles. Go as far as South Africa. And Jeremiah sees all this, but he says, with my people. And then, he, then we can remember, you know, the ox knows the owner and the ass is master's crib. The hen will gather the chickens under the wing. Consider the ravens, he said. The toil not, the sow not. The nether gathered into marns, but your heavenly Father loves them and feeds them. Friend, if you're not broken, we're not broken this morning over the love and the mercy and the grace of God. We have a very hard heart. It smashed, smashed up, think of the wee swallow. Those correction brought tears, migration brought tears. Quickly look at verse 30, 31 and 32. Abomination. Therefore behold the day is come in verse 32, says the Lord, that it shall be no more called Tophet. Go back to 31. And they have built the high place of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not. Never came it into my heart. God would have never thought of burning a child. He'd have never thought of destroying a child in the womb. What happened here was even God's people had built altars to sacrifice their children. They had red hot plates, red hot plates, and they set, they set the baby on them as a sacrifice. There were babies in the meeting this morning. And they sat the wee babies onto the, onto, the, onto the red thing and they started up music so that they drowned the cries. This is what they were doing. But sure, they're doing far worse this morning. They're slaying the wee children in the womb wholesale. The valley of slaughter, it's called here. It's the valley of slaughter. Let me tell you, England's a valley of slaughter. Jesus uses the word Gehenna here as the word of hell. The fires of hell that are burning. He says that in the verse. Hinnom. 
the valley of slaughter for they shall bury in Tophet till there shall be no more place. I tell you these abortionists are going to hell. The slaying of the babies. The slaughtering of the babies. The inoculating of the children in the schools and all the evil and wicked work that the devil did. And another tear. Another tear. Where's the man that will mortgage the house and give money to the school? Where's the man who will dig into the building and sell a wee bit of his land and give money to the school? Where are they? Don't be praying, don't be running to meetings. Until God breaks. Until God breaks. Oh, the abomination. The abomination. Do you know what the word abomination here, and I'm soon be through now, it's disgusting, abhorrent, filthy, detestable. And that's sodomites and transgenderism, same-sex stuff, and all that. The shameful, woke ideology, ideology, the spreading across our land like wildfire. It's an abomination to God. You're not allowed to speak the word. And it says, look at it in verse 12 of chapter 8, it says in verse 12, for they were, were they ashamed when they'd committed abomination? No. They were not, all, not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. My friend, when sin doesn't grip us and make us blush and weep and cry, Butchering the children wholesale. Quarter of a million in 2019 in Britain alone. Putting knives into the womb of the mother and pliers and punchers going up into the womb of the mother and the child recoiling back when it grips them because of the pain. And sucking them out of the vacuum. And burning them. There's a day of judgment coming and it's coming fast. We need weeping prophets. For money's sake, for expediency's sake, to keep the population down. Reading about the woman, a woman the other day, she's had three abortions. Two abortions, she's going to have another. I read of another woman, she said, we have a cruise booked. We have a cruise book. <laughs> she enjoyed the cruise. She killed the child. Lastly, he wept over correction, migration, abomination. Look at chapter 9 and verse 3. Here's what he's weeping over. Evangelization. Now you take this home with you this morning. And they bent their tongues like their bow from lies. Here's the phrase. They are not valiant for the truth. 
In other words, they're not brave and courageous and fearless for God and for truth. And I tell you, the land and the churches littered with boys like these, twisting and turning the truth. If there's anything that we have succeeded, if any way God has blessed us here, one thing it must be that we stuck to the truth. And mind you, we are many today tried to be pushed away from. No man, he says, there's no man brave, there's no courageous men, there's no fearless men for God. As we would say, for Christ, for the gospel. The gospel of truth which without which no man can be saved. God who will have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You'll never be saved unless you know the truth. And I'll tell you the truth this morning. You know the truth is that you're a sinner. You know the truth that Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day. If you want to know the truth, the truth of the gospel is that Christ died for your sins and he loves you this morning and he wants to save you this morning. That's the truth. It's the only truth which is I am the way, the truth, and the life. Gospel truth. Oh, we'll be preaching it tonight at the tent. We'll be preaching it all week at the tent. We'll be preaching it any time we get an opportunity in season, out of season, telling men and women, boys and girls, the truth that Jesus loves them, Christ died for them, but they have to come. They have to come. He's weeping. He's not a man. He says, they're not valiant. No courageous men. Thank God for robbers. Stephen and those who stand in the streets. And preach the word. Be valiant for the truth, men, for we have nothing else. Preach it in season and out of season. Rebuke, reprove. Every opportunity you get, tell men and women. Christ died and loves him. This man's heart's broken. Such a crowd today that's preaching another gospel that wouldn't save a dram. Bloodless gospel, a Christless gospel. Popular gospel. Secular gospel, call it what you like, it's if any man preaches another gospel according to this, let him be accursed, Paul says. Let him go to hell. Why is that? Why is that as I finish this morning? Leave you with this this morning. What did Paul say to the church at Philippi? What did he say to them? Read them many times. Paul wept. He was broken. Isaiah was broken, Jeremiah was broken, Moses was broken, Joel was broken, Hosea was broken. These men were all broken, but nobody more broken than my Savior. Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, tells him, he says, listen, I'm telling you, he's talking to the church at Philippi, he says, I'm telling, I'm telling you, weeping, weeping. 
I'm telling you weeping that those people that you're listening to, they're enemies of the gospel of Christ. If Paul wept over that, why should we not weep over it? They'll sing and they'll clap and they'll dance and they'll shout and they'll give a wee message at the end of it and say, come to Christ, there's no more gospel, my friend, than Repentance, faith, conviction. God loves you. And until we start preaching like that again, we will not see the tears. And we will not see the broken. But we will see it. And here I say to you this morning, I leave you. With that lovely Savior on the Santa Cross, stripped naked. And any time you see a picture in a wall with a garment around its private parts, it's a lie. It's a concoction of Rome. Because he was stripped naked, and that was part of the shame. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place, your place, my place, condemned he stood. The creator of all things. The Son of God, God the Son, who loved us. Who says to those we swallowed, go now, go now, come now, come now. Says to you this morning, come, but you say I'll not come. No, I'm afraid of what my mother was like, I'm afraid of what my father was like. God help you. Or what at work was like, or what my husband was like, what my wife was like. And I tell you, that'll be no good to you when... You go down into to death. Hang in there. The time that he, every time these men that I'm talking about, and women too in the Bible that wept, they wept over souls. They wept over the state of the nation. They wept over the state of the church. The children of Israel, they hung their hearts on the willows and they said, how can we sing? We wept and we mourned. And how can we sing the Lord's song in this strange land when our people are desolate? And hanging there on that cross, my Savior bore, bore all my sins, every last one of them. And he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come now. Nobody prayed, nobody wept more. You know, when he looked over Jerusalem on the pool of the ass on the Palm Sunday, he wept. That word weep there, he, he, he convulsed. The old donkey shook under him. He convulsed when he saw down in that town, down in that city of Jerusalem, where three and a half years he saw the rich and the rulers, he would have saved them, but he wouldn't let them. He wouldn't let them. He wouldn't let them fall. He wouldn't let them break you this morning. He didn't go home and leave your dinner to one side and get down on your knees and say, Lord, what do you want? What do you want me to give to the work of the children? Not to bear your children, not to do what do you want me to give to the work of the children? No different of prayer ever to ask God to protect or bless your children, but he'll not answer. You're not going to be broken in that area. 
I tell you, weep. Christ died for you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for helping us to unburden our heart. And you know, Lord, how inadequate we feel to preach a message like this, and we're not worthy. We must confess, Lord, that we're hard, we're cold. We don't love you the way that we should, Lord. We We're so full of ourselves, so full of our work, so full of pride, so full of our jobs, so full of our families, and yet no place for thee. Lord, speak to me this morning as you have been doing. Speak to others this morning. May as a result of this word that came, we believe from the heart of God and the night watches to us. We'll come to some soul or souls this morning. And they'll flee. Like the swallow and the turtle and the dove. They'll flee from the wrath. Let's come. Amen.